to Deeply Disturbing Things, the podcast. I'm Macy. And I'm Naomi. And we're two anxious counselors who like to talk about deeply disturbing things. Close the curtains, light a candle, and let's get into it. Into the coffin. Woo, we did some of that today. Coffin photos will be forthcoming. (laughs) We had to channel our inner October because it's actually mid-July and quite sweltering outside. Quite hot. (laughs) Quite toasty in a coffin this time of year. I didn't realize you were starting. Oh, well, like, I, I all did of a sudden, know. like you're doing it. I'm like, oh, we're doing it. <laughs> you were rearranging desk items. I was. I'm like, how can I get my Lego Naomi to be more in the shot? I It is now. That's is. great. I nailed it. Nailed it. Oh. I get to go first. I'm yes, super stoked. Go for it. Because this is really important <laughs> for all of us to discuss. Okay. Um. Why you should not keep wild animals for pets. Ooh, good topic. Have you seen lately there's been a lot of people getting gored by bison in Yellowstone? Bison. How do you say it? The right way. Bison. Yeah. Have you seen all the news about bison goring people in Yellowstone? I have. I'm kind of loving it. (laughs) Yeah. I don't like the word gore. Like as a term, I don't, like I don't know. to it's be kind bored. Of yeah, it's kind of a strange term. Or, uh, it kind of it's like the um, uh, brand new cherry flavored when she sticks her hand in that. That to me would be a goring. That's a gore. Self goring. Yeah, yeah these are other gorings, and I feel like people have really kind of destroyed our beautiful national parks by mm-hmm. way too many visitors. Agreed. And I think the animals are fighting back, and and I'm here for it. Well, and like people are stupid. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> just to be fair. And any of those cases, really the bison was not like breaking into their kitchen. You know, we're in their space. Yeah, and it's usually like through their parks that are protected for them specifically. And they're breaking the rules. Like you're supposed to stay a certain distance back. And all these cases, the people were too close. Could you imagine this would be like, you know, if your house was your protected space, uh, but people could come in and take photos of you. And if they got too close, bitch might get hit. People don't like that. They no. call it a home invasion. You might get bored in that home invasion. Maybe we should consider ourselves doing a home invasion when we go to Yellowstone and be a little mm. more respectful. Yes. According to pause.org, which is a Washington state website, there's lots of reasons you shouldn't keep wild animals for pets first it's not safe for humans wild animals might be adorable you might think it's really cool like to have one did you ever want to have a wild animal pet like when you were little maybe a rhino but it was unrealistic i wanted an alligator okay when i was five (laughs) and i thought it could just live in my swimming pool in the garage and it would be fine. <laughs> I, mine was from watching Jumanji and the chubby little rhino at the end. That, <laughs> oh, rhinos are I'm so like, cute. I'd ride it. We'd get there eventually. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there's temptation there because it seems like a really good idea. But wild animals grow up, you know, this is like your neoteny subject. Like mm-hmm. they're real cute when they're little, but they grow up and they can be very dangerous. It can be unpredictable. They are wild for a reason mm, slight topic connection and there have been lots of stories about wild animals attacking and injuring people mm-hmm. often fatally that have been in the news even 
little animals like squirrels or um, mm-hmm. what if people try to keep raccoons sometimes? Can you say that again? Raccoons. How do you say it? Raccoons. What did I say? Raccoons. Oh, <laughs> well, they're rocking <laughs> raccoons. <laughs> Maybe I have an accent fine. that I we've never really identified. Are, it's coming undone in this podcast. I do come from the California Bay Area, so whatever that it's means. quite likely that I have some kind of something locally geographically distinct accent. So I've I've become leery of squirrels as of late. When I mean when I'm walking by and like one's on a tree, yeah, kind of above me, I'm always thinking like, what if it jumps off and like attaches to my head? Mm, Yeah, like what? How would I handle that? You know, so I'm always like, I see you, squirrel. Yeah, they're they're very territorial. So even little ones can cause Mm -hmm. great damage. My dad and I found a little one that I think our pet cat a long time ago had wounded. A squirrel? A, a little baby squirrel. And it like mm-hmm. it was cute and on my shoe at first. And then all of a sudden it ran up my head and then was up there. And then that was scary. Mm-hmm. But it it got better and I think was released. Or it died and my dad didn't tell me. It's one of those mm. one of those options. Um animals carry disease. So you're lucky it didn't bite you. I'm sure I got diseased. You can get salmonella, ringworm, something called brussellosis no one likes brussels sprouts unless there's bacon on it i love brussels sprouts sans bacon mm-hmm. um we all know the story of the pangolin and covid mm-hmm. and mice and covid mm-hmm. you can get the rabies you can get other parasites mm-hmm. as well so very dangerous to humans mm-hmm. it's also against the law in washington state don't do it it's illegal to possess any wild animal in our state who lives naturally so squirrels crows deer unless you are transporting the animal to a licensed wildlife rehabilitation center for Mm -hmm. care Mm -hmm. then you can have one like in your car it's illegal to provide rehabilitation to a sick injured or orphaned wild animal without proper permits and licenses i did not know this i heard someone when i was at the vet the other day for my dog i heard someone there call in about a wounded hawk they found and they were needing to bring it in so the vet could then take it to a rehabilitation Mm -hmm. thing but yeah there's like a handoff that was happening Mm -hmm. it's illegal to possess potentially endangered wild exotic animals such as monkeys bears tigers Oh my. Lions and venomous snakes. So you can keep snakes like boas. I used to have boas. Mm-hmm. But Burn snakes. But venomous snakes like the cobra, you cannot keep. And some say, you know, if you know what you're doing, it's not a problem. It's those that don't know what they're doing and they're, you know, willy-nilly about it are giving us responsible snakesters a bad reputation. Mm. That's one side of things. But it also leads to maybe overpopulation then if they're like breeding them and then selling them in the animal black market. Mm, I'd like to visit that place. The animal black market. Yes. And bring my tote bag. With a dead bird. (laughs) My dead bird. I have a dead bird in my yard. (laughs) 
Yeah. follow as a patron for only a dollar and you'll get to learn more about her dead bird in the backyard which everybody needs to know that information it's very important and her first record believe it or not mine was a <laughs> cd if that gives you any range of reference if you don't live in washington state please check out your local laws so you can find out what's legal and what's allowed in your area keeping a wild animal is also bad for the animals Animals in the wild have evolved over the course of millions of years as independent, free-living beings. They have needs. They have autonomy. They have instincts. Mm -hmm. They have behaviors that you can't separate from their habitat from whence they came. Oh, and it's like your Siegfried and Roy episode, where yeah. like you know, no matter how close you get, you might get. Tact. No matter how luxurious of a life you provide for your animal, they are still wild animals. Sometimes my kitten still runs around and jumps out of nowhere onto my face. And there's no, I'm thank God that thing is the size of my hand. If that was a tiger, I'd be dead. If that was an 800 pound tiger, you would be dead. I would. She doesn't know. No matter how well designed a captive habitat may be, it can never replicate the freedom that wild animals require to be complete beings. Mm -hmm. I love that. Aww. Like by keeping Should a wild a animal, we're robbing it of its essential self, mm -hmm. its essential experience as a wild being. If someone kept you in their house and you couldn't leave and you were stuck with them. I'd be clawing the walls. I'd be pissing everywhere. I'd be clawing the walls. I'd be spitting blood. How do you just spit blood? I would bite my cheek and create some and spit it. Oh, okay. I would give the message that I was very unhappy. Yeah. 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 Makes sense. A permanently captive wild animal is doomed to a life of, of confusion and stress mm -hmm. as they attempt to reconcile instinctual urges with foreign <laughs> surroundings. I thought that was a really mm -hmm. um, poignant way of putting that. Yeah wild on animals belong in the wild so i started thinking you know i just went to portland i went to the zoo and in my personal opinion i think zoos and like other organizations that are working to preserve endangered species or places that have animals that are so injured that they can't survive in the yeah, wild they can't be released again. i think that those are acceptable me too um, but I don't know if all animals in zoos fall under that category. I don't think so. And there's certain, I think you can probably easily tell that by going to which zoos are nonprofit and which ones are for profit, mm -hmm. because a lot of the nonprofits get funding to take care of those animals for life, where a lot mm -hmm. of the ones for profit, it's, it, you know, they're a commodity. They're not, um, it's not about, I'm, not saying that zoos don't care about the life of the animals, but it is tied to a dollar amount at the door. Do you know Spokane used to have a zoo? No, I don't. It was out there sort of near Mirabu Park. Oh, out there. Where the, valley, where the Valley was. When I yeah. very first moved to this area, I went there and I'm like, this is the shittiest zoo I have ever <laughs> seen in my entire life. Well, go ahead. It felt to me as if they just put up a fence and whatever animals happened to be caught inside oh gosh <laughs> were on display at the zoo that's how it felt to me weird i because i i grew up um on the north side near cattails um that's where my dad lives and yes and so i would wake up to hearing at certain times of the day all the lions and tigers roaring mm -hmm. during feeding times and i'd get this idea in my mind about like what if one escaped like and 
it would eat everybody. That's it right. would. Because they did have a specific tiger there who um who they had because he had killed um a had killed someone from getting loose. So he was in like a back section off area that even like because he tasted human flesh and he yes. wanted more. So he was even farther back from the people than the other tigers were. But I mean, to me, I kind of like that he's still given a, a life and it wasn't to. put down. Yeah. I have mixed feelings about cattails. There are mixed feelings you should have about cattails. Um, I agree. Yeah. I, but honestly, I don't know enough to speak about it other than I know that I just maybe that needs to be talked about. Something. Maybe it does. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we find more information yes. and report back. Uh, yeah. To habituation is another reason you should not keep wild animals as pets this is the process where animals gradually get used to situations they would normally avoid like humans <laughs> and eating humans so animals are easily habituated if they aren't handled and managed properly mm -hmm. during rehabilitation so you might just be like so cuddly with them and petting them they lose that natural fear of humans or they get used to being fed and they don't really know how to capture their own food anymore. So this is dangerous for humans and wild animals. Habituated animals cannot be returned to the wild because they're going to be a nuisance and outright danger to humans. So they're going to be like the bear that knows it loves PB and J is like wandering into the campgrounds all the time. So you can't feed your pets scraps at home because all of a sudden they're around bacon and you're like, damn it. <laughs> trickery pause this company that i got that information mm -hmm. from and other wildlife rehabilitators go to great lengths to avoid habituating the animals in their care so they really stress that if you try to rehabilitate a sick injured or orphaned wild animal without the proper training that you may end up habituating it and ruining the animal's chance for being released back into the wild mm -hmm. There are many examples out there sure. about when keeping a wild animal as a pet went horribly wrong. Mm -hmm. I'll share a few. One, Teddy the black bear killed his owner while she cleaned his cage. The Waltz family of Allentown, Pennsylvania had raised their 350 pound black bear Teddy since it was a cub. And I'm sure it was so cute. I'm sure. Yeah. But even so, the bear attacked and killed Kellyanne Waltz as she was cleaning his cage. She made the deadly mistake of cleaning the cage while Teddy was in the cage. Mm. But I can see just, you know, getting used to him over time. Nothing bad has ever happened before. She went into the cage, a 15 by 15 foot steel and concrete enclosure throwing a shovel full of dog food to one side to distract the bear while she cleaned the other side. At some point, the bear turned on her and attacked. Well, Andy's going to be like protective of the food. I mean, my dog will growl about food. I mean, it's a close space. Mm -hmm. It's already an enclosure. And it's his environment. Yeah. And there's going to be some level of stress, I think, already to being contained. That's mm -hmm. inherent. Yeah, and that's again like you're going into their space, mm -hmm. and you're bringing food. Get which out is of like my house. Getting getting the smells going. Yes, get out my house. The children saw the incident, including when their father shot Teddy, who was Aww. like a family member. 
But I mean, he'd killed the mom, right? Or just attacked her? Killed. Killed. Ugh. Yeah. So at that point, I'm sure they were actually like feeling bad more for their mom, but. But the whole thing. But the I whole mean, you thing don't know. Yeah. I mean, the thing with trauma is that could be like not Layers. what you expect is yeah. the moment that causes the trauma. I mean, to be fair, if my dog killed a random stranger, I would feel bad for the random stranger, but then I'd be like, like if your dog had to be taken yeah, out at that. But then the poor Boo Bear. Right. <laughs> Why are you coming around Boo Bear smelling like meat? He's old. If he attacked you, it must have been. <laughs> you deserved. can't see. You look like a snake. He would not go near a snake. A steak. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he would go near a snake. Sandra L. Piovisen bled to death after being mauled by a pack of nine wolf dogs that she had raised as pets and was so devoted to that she once told a neighbor they give me unqualified love. Wolf dogs are hybrid wolf and domestic dog. Mm. This incident really got the the hybrid wolf dog folks up in arms because they thought it was like putting a, them in a bad light and they were quick to distance themselves from Sandra. I think nine, that's a lot of dogs. I don't want to be numbered a, by my pets. That's a pack. <laughs> yeah. Pack will hunt you down. Yes. I'm thinking now we have three cats. Okay, three adults. I worry about being taken over by cats on a daily basis. And, and Estella. So, okay, we still have more human to cat ratio. So we cannot mm -hmm. we cannot go to five. Like, we will officially be oh outnumbered at that point. I'm outnumbered. It's a pride. They're, they <laughs> could make a plan in the night. They could enact it. I'm hoping that Baby Nugget will be the one savior. <laughs> Wait. They're going to all circle your bed in the middle of the night. Give the signal. Oh, especially when I don't let them outside. And then they just like pissed at me all day. And they, meow, meow, meow. Never let that food bowl get empty is all no. I have to say, Macy. That bowl is full on the daily. And even if it still has food in it in the morning, they expect me to go and scoop more food. Like they want, a fr they want to hear me pour food in that bowl they like the fresh food yeah they yeah. just they're like fuck you do some shit for me this morning that's what it is i know i was <laughs> this is how who does the same thing though if the cats get fed and he still has a full bowl then i have to go pour it out and then re-put it in again and make a whole thing about it <laughs> we talked about how cats have mind control they do oh 100%. right i mean i found myself at a cat video fest on friday <laughs> How does this happen I, I to me? I have a cat Instagram. Who have I become? <laughs> <laughs> Example number three. Terry Vance Garner, age 69, never returned after he set out to feed his animals at his farm on the Oregon coast. A family member found Garner's dentures and pieces of his body in the hog enclosure several hours later. Ooh, the hogs got it? But Ooh. most of his remains had been consumed. How did that happen? So he must have like fell or maybe he burned must have himself. fell and they came or, upon him. Or one like gored him. Okay, I have to tell you my dad. Gored. Gored. It's coming up again. It's coming up. Oh, God. Um, so do hogs have tusks? Some can. For goring? I, I would assume. Oh. Um, 
my dad has bulldogs and what they just body slam into your legs. And one time I got knocked down on the ground, this ended up on Facebook. You probably saw, um, I was on the ground and they just continued to one after another, just pile See how on you. It happens. If they would have an actual snout, I could have been a goner, but they if just bulldogs kept... could gore people. What would become of us? We'd be dead. We would be dead. So yeah, he may have slipped and they just, mm-hmm went upon him and ate him you're like yeah most of his remains had been consumed so hogs will eat anything they'll eat mm-hmm. meat humans wheat um several of the hogs weighed 700 pounds or more so those are some big hogs wow the brother so of- i'm curious what they do with the hogs after that like could they get made into bacon and then someone eats? They probably made them into bacon. But, but but that's but then you're like eating human, aren't you? You are. Because it kind of went into them and became it's into part their, of their DNA. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I don't really eat pork, so I'd be fine. I've eaten some weird bacon <laughs> where it's like, why doesn't this smell like bacon? Maybe because it was human. Maybe it was human. <laughs> the brother of the victim said that one of the large sows had bit his brother the year before when he accidentally stepped on her piglet well fucking deserved sorry was this a revenge killing i hope so maybe that sow has been waiting for a year for the opportunity you know i am pretty happy that the mama kitty got got adopted out because she kept sitting outside of my my glass door looking just staring in at me because i had her kitten inside she just stare at me through the glass door every day, just staring. Oh, I wasn't. It wasn't an um. It was a like. Oh, ominous stare. Ominous, just dead stare. So she's adopted into a great home now, which is great. So she can't kill me in the middle of the night. I'm I'm happy that had a positive outcome. It did. I'm wondering if they planned a kind of thing where, like, okay. One of you stand behind oh, him. He, like, he's falls. gonna, yeah, he's yeah. gonna trip over you, and then we attack. Yeah. We attack at dawn. Do you remember um, what was the animal farm? Yes. Yeah. And the pigs were the smartest animals. Yeah. Well, and I they think are. pigs they are, are real smart. smart. Yeah. My ex-husband um, showed pigs in the fair. My sister showed a pig in the fair. There you go. When I, first, I showed goats. When I first heard about that, I was like so fascinated because it's completely like polar opposites have, of like my a, upbringing. They have a cane. It's like, tell me everything. They like tap them with the cane. Yeah, and tell they, me about the cane. And actually, it's some pretty aggressive tapping where I'm like, hmm, no Is it like, like abusive almost? I mean, it's some forceful guiding. Yeah. Well, it's just such a different culture because he would tell me how like he'd raise them from little babies. Yeah. And he'd even sleep with them when it was cold outside in the barn so they wouldn't get cold. And then you just sell them off to be eaten. It's like how I know do you do it that? was weird watching like my my other sister had a baby cow <laughs> copper, cute, cutest baby cow I've ever seen. She raised it to full grown and then and then they butchered it. And I and they were like, Do you want some of this? I'm like, I can't. Like, I'm not, and she ate it. She's like, I loved copper, but he's tastes really good and I'm like I can't no it's just the culture like morally I feel like I can't I petted that cow as a respected equal yeah when it's like a member <laughs> of the family when they have names yeah like, how do people... when like copper runs up and totally copper color white spots runs up had like the shaggy fur like I can't I can't <laughs> I can't it makes I me t- a murderer <laughs> I took Stella to the fair last year um to see the animals because I thought oh that'd be cute 
they have the meat trucks but we went like day five or whatever oh and there's no animals i'm like where are all the animals well, people take their animals home and then the other animals no. get hung up in the middle no these were like sold mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. be eaten already yeah. and so a person told me like no you need to get here like day one if you want to see them because <laughs> they go yeah, they, to their next step in life well because they auction it so that's one of the things that's so like the this and part of what the, the kids do is they'll post the pictures the kind of the pedigree all of that that went into it what they ate kind of like a poster board presentation and then people will Love those. people will auction to to try to bid for that specific animal and it'll have pictures of it like at the fair that sort of thing so i love me a good trifold poster presentation we love us a poster board okay you talk i have to get another beer how do you leave me when it's not even my topic talk about your your goat thing oh i showed goats at the fair i was in 4-h with my family and i showed boar goats which are meat goats um we didn't eat them for me but that's what they were I was, um, you know, I don't mean to brag, but I was grand champion of the goat barn uh, for one year, which I still hold in high regard. And uh, what that entailed was showing goats around in a little little circle. No, you have to know all your goat anatomy and be able to trim their hooves and their their face and their little back of the heel hairs. Got to do things. They got to trim up their tails. And um my goats were pristine to the breed so i won many a ribbons what she said so i don't know what she said people don't eat goats right you people just eat goats oh you eat goats yeah i was just saying my goats at fair were boar goats which are meat goats oh i didn't know people oh. ate goats and my mom my mom once took my my pet goat puzzle and a, this is a trauma story oh. so my I had a goat named Puzzle who was black, like a Nubian, so a very tall goat, black with white polka dots, like white polka dots all over. Adorable. And my sister had a goat named Jolly. Jolly ate hot dogs and was a little dumb. Okay, that's the backstory. We did fair. Um, and and eventually I get noticed that, oh, by the way, Puzzle's gone. Where did Puzzle go? Why is Jolly the only goat here now? Where did Puzzle go? So apparently my mom had made plans for Jolly. She sold Jolly to some people in town and they came up and my sister was the only one at the house and directed them to my goat. And they took my goat instead and put it in the trunk of the car. Oh my God, it's like switched away. situation. It switched for trunk. There you go. That was terrible. Trauma story. I raised this goat from little babe little babe because my my grandma in Ellensburg raises goats like so the same sister that killed her hamster no oh. that was an evil stepsister who will never be named <laughs> partially because I forget her name <laughs> <laughs> which is probably the worst insult it is okay the most gruesome and horrific story I've ever heard about why you should not keep a wild animal as a pet is that of Charlotte Nash and Travis the Chimp. Hmm. Let's go back to Travis the Chimp's early years. Okay. Travis the Chimp was born in a chimpanzee sanctuary in Missouri in 1995. He was taken from his mother, Susie, when he was only three days old. 
So already some trauma. He was sold to Jerome and Sandra Harold for $50,000. Susie later escaped from the sanctuary and was killed. Mm-hmm. Travis the Chimp was named after Travis Tritt, country music musician, and lived in the Herald's home in Connecticut. And he became like a celebrity. He was on like some talk shows and stuff and some commercials and things. Travis was treated like the Herald's child. He wore human clothes. He learned how to dress himself. He did chores. He had meals with the family. He knew how to use a computer. He knew all the times that the local ice cream trucks came around. He liked baseball. There's a picture of Travis. Travis is a big boy also. He's a big boy. (laughs) That's what life of uh, living in the house does for you. You're not swinging. Yep. Travis and the Heralds had many good years together, but that was to change. Dun, dun, dun. In 2000, the Heralds' only child was killed in a car accident. Wow. And then four years later, Jerome Harold died after a battle with cancer. Sandra Harold really relied on Travis to provide comfort for her losses, and she really began pampering him. They ate all their meals together. They took baths together. They slept in the same bed together. So generally frowned upon. She's really, you know, leaning on this chimp to um, provide her with that comfort Mm -hmm. after those losses. Travis began having erratic behavior just before Jerome died. In 2003, somebody, I guess, had like thrown a bottle or something into the car window and Travis got super pissed, got out of the car, chased after this person for a period of time. And after this incident, there was um, a law that was passed in the state that limited keeping primates to 50 pounds. Oh, if there were pets and owners had to have a permit. But Travis, by the time this thing got passed, the Heralds had held him so long. So he kind of got grandfathered yeah, in. Yeah. And so, there was a bunch of publicity. It probably would look bad on the state if they didn't. Okay. Probably yeah. But, yeah. Because it's kind of mm-hmm. like, you know, people like Travis. Mm-hmm. Then six years later, after that event, Travis made national headlines. When he attacked Sandra Harold's friend, Charlotte Nash. So Charlotte knew Travis since he was a little baby chimp. Mm-hmm. They go way back, um, Charlotte and Sandra. And Charlotte was over at the house a lot. On February 16th, 2009, Travis escaped the house with Sandra Harold's car keys and wouldn't come back with them. So Nash came over to help to try to get him back in the house. I mean, that's kind of naughty, like taking the keys, running out. Mischievous. Yeah. Yeah. In an attempt to lure him back in the house, Charlotte Nash held out his favorite toy, which was a Tickle Me Elmo doll. Mm -hmm. So Travis recognized the doll, but Nash had recently changed her hair. So Mm -hmm. people think maybe 
Travis was confused and scared and didn't really recognize her. Travis was 200 pounds. That's big. Mm -hmm. He stood up on his hind legs and attacked Charlotte, pinning her against the car and just started a vicious attack. Mm -hmm. He just tore into Charlotte. He bit off her hands. Oh my gosh. Both? Both hands. Oh my God. And started tearing off her face. Whoa. Sandra trying to stop this hit Travis with a shovel that did nothing and then ended up stabbing Travis in the back with a knife and she later said for me to do something like that put a knife in him was like putting one in myself because she loved Travis yeah but what are you gonna do yeah what are you gonna do Sandra frantically called 911 and the recording's out there if anybody's interested it I didn't listen to it um but it's apparently 12 minutes long you can hear everything going on in the background i, I had no to desire to listen to it, it. <laughs> that's willingly walking into some secondary trauma thanks yes um at first the 911 operator thought it was a hoax and so didn't like immediately send emergency services until sandra screamed he's eating her and then finally emergency services were sent out um, but they waited until police arrived to help Nash because it was just too dangerous of a situation. Mm-hmm. When the police arrived, the chimp tried to get into the police car through the passenger door, but the door was locked. So Travis, now he's injured. He's been stabbed well, and he in knows the back. He's been in and out of cars. He's yeah. been way too like, inoculated. Well, what are they talking about? Habituated. Yeah. yeah, he knows he's how to do person. all this. Weird. He circles the police car and then he finds the driver's doors unlocked. So he smashes a window also in this process and um, is getting in the car. Officer Frank Chifari opened fire and shot Travis four times, but Travis didn't die immediately. He made his way back into the house to his special bed, leaving a trail of blood, and then he died there. It's so sad. I, I mean, know. on all accounts, it's not his fault. Right? No, yeah, it's not his fault. Charlotte Nash required many hours of surgery by multiple surgeons. Travis had broken nearly all the bones of her face, torn away her eyelids, nose, ripped her jaw completely off. Jeez. Her lips. If you have a friend with a wild pet, don't offer to help. Sorry, just don't do it. And maybe tell them to not not yeah not uh, most of her scalp so she was blinded by this mm-hmm. her in- lucky to be alive honestly ish i mean to be her, fair. Okay. i mean if it was me i don't know i mean i don't know i'm not in that situation her injuries were so severe that the stamford hospital offered the staff that treated her counseling sessions because it was just so brutal, this attack. But I mean, I think that that instinct to survive is strong mm-hmm. and it, people are, are fighting to live. Mm-hmm. After they saved her life and successfully reattached her jaw, she was eligible for an experimental facial transplant, okay. which she got. Travis's head was taken to a state lab to be examined. He did not have any diseases. 
but it was revealed that Travis had been giving Xanax an anti-anxiety med. Which is basically like a little tranquilizer. But sometimes it can have like uh, the opposite effect. effect, And and it can cause like irritability, aggression, like Uh uh, manic behavior. It's weird that she was giving him Xanax though, which means that she was managing his... He probably was acting more and more erratic Mm because she just didn't want to... Doping him up basically. Mm -hmm. And then yeah, and if he's having withdrawals from that and how, I mean, she, he can't communicate that. Or his, no, and so, how do you really know the proper dosage for an animal? Because no. they can't report back what they're experiencing. Well, and I'm curious how she's getting a prescription for Xanax that she's just giving to a pet. Maybe, is that something vets prescribe for chimps? I don't know. I mean, that I don't actually I'm know I'm not that. sure. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not into um animal psychology. i mean i would doubt i would doubt that they do it for long term anything i mean i i know that you can get like some calming something prescribed like i know people that do it for their dogs on fourth of july oh yeah yeah but their vets would never give them like a long term it wouldn't be an ongoing script yeah i mean or else it, the question would be the question of why why yeah yeah in 2010, 15 months after the attack, Sandra died suddenly from an aneurysm. And people that knew her said, you know, it just had been tragedy after tragedy and really just dis- destroyed her, her health um, emotionally, physically, spiritually. Charlotte Nash had initially sued several parties for $50 million and ended up settling with Sandra's estate for $4 million in 2012. I mean, the cost of her medical bills. Is yeah, just I mean, you can't. There's no astronomical. There. No. And lifelong care. Yeah. Like, I don't, I no, don't think $4 million is enough. You ruined her life. Like, I, I don't think $4 million is enough. I think that her, the, the cost of her to have any chance of a, a life would cost more than that. Yeah. So that's just too bad. After this, they tried to pass a bill called the Captive Primate Safety Act, which was supported by the Humane Society and the Wildlife Conservation Society. And it would have prohibited apes, monkeys, and lemurs from being sold as pets, but the bill died in the Senate. Why? Why is that something you would shoot down? Like, nope. Ask your senator who was there in 2009, and I don't know who that is. Stupid. The officer that shot Travis really struggled um, Mm -hmm. and said it was really hard for him to find any mental health support Mm -hmm. following the incident. And so in 2010, he um, promoted a bill that would call for mental health care for police to be covered when officers are forced to kill an animal. And that did go through. Good. Good. Yeah. No, that's it's like a different level because you know like it's not the animal's fault and you have to kill it yeah yeah and it's not like the owner who has some fault to play of like you know kind of putting down your own demons sort of thing like you've now brought strangers into this who now have to act on your mistakes yep and have to live with that imagery for the rest Mm -hmm. of their life in 2011, Nash underwent transplant surgery for um, a facial transplant. She had received a donated face and hands, 
The transplant of the hands was initially successful, but she developed pneumonia and they had to remove the hands because mm -hmm. of infection um, and poor circulation. Today, Sharla lives in an assisted living facility. Mm. She really misses her independence. But the attack left her blind and she suffered damage to brain tissue as well. So she really needs a lot of help just to do daily things. Um, on an interview with Oprah, she said, I've never been a quitter. Unfortunately, there's not a whole lot I can do. I've lost so much independence. I could change my own truck tire and now I can't even feed myself. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to live, not even live, half live. Yeah. Sometimes you want to cry, you want out, you want some kind of home. I don't know what my future is. That's the scary part. Yeah, I can't tough. even imagine. Yeah. Sandra was buried with two urns. One was her daughter's and one belonged to Travis. Mm -hmm. And if you want to yeah. know more in Washington State, look at paws.org. That is why you should not keep wild animals as pets. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's amazing how, like, we as people always think that, like, that's fine. We've got it. Like, don't worry. It's fine. Maybe you don't. It's all fun and games till someone gets hurt. And you don't know until it happens. So, like, do you really want to take that risk? Right. I think people really get overconfident. Yeah. You know, just because nothing's gone wrong so far mm -hmm. is no indicator of how good you are. It's just nothing's gone wrong so far. Yes. <laughs> Has to happen. I mean, it, made, it brought up memories of the Tiger King. Yeah. Too. Yeah. yeah. As well. And, you know, you should mm -hmm. not be keeping those magnificent creatures in those horrible penned up situations and then blaming them when they act the way that they would act that was actually one of the things when i first when i was younger me with young abu that's my dog and he would do things that dogs do like chew something up or you know and i would get so upset initially and then i remember my dad like told me at one point he's like well, he's doing what a dog would do. So do you have something out that he would chew on? <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. Then you can't or expect right. it to be chewed. Okay. If you have, you know, it's just like expect them. To. Right. Right. It's putting more responsibility yeah. on us rather than blaming an animal an that's animal. just doing animal things. Yeah. And we're the one altering their behavior. So like maybe we need to be patient with that process anyways, even for our you know, are uh, domesticated animals. And I can't be blamed when I do Naomi things. <laughs> I did not say that. <laughs> I did. All right. Are you ready for my talk? Yes. You okay. said there was a link. A little bit. We'll a get there. Bit. You'll, okay. When you hear it, you'll go, oh, okay. okay. But um, not hugely. <laughs> um, I'm going back to some roots here. Doing a serial killer. Today. Okay, who are you doing? I'm going to talk about, I'm curious if you've heard about him because I actually hadn't and he is deemed the second like worst serial killer ever. So Pedro Alonso Lopez. I don't recognize the name Me, right off the bat. Neither. And I'm wondering if this is because we're from the U.S. Oh, probably. Probably. Because it's not from the U.S. But again, it's amazing. Like what it's about, what's put in front of you that you know. Oh yeah, 100%. So I tripped onto this and 
there's actually a lot of information. Um, so Pedro was born in 1948 in a village of uh, Santa Isabel, Colombia. And when I, there's a bunch of interviews around this. So there's actually a lot of information. So it was really interesting to dive into because um, there's been a lot where you don't have very much like actual stuff from the person or what happened in between. Right. It's tough to find source material. <laughs> yes. This, I would say there's almost too much source material. So I'm going to kind of try to sift through because like his mom shared stuff, he shared stuff. So it's kind of like, you know, the reliability as well of what's being said. Cause sometimes his mom would say things that is different than what he says, vice versa. So grain of salt in that respect. Okay. So first I'm going to kind of give a background on him, work backwards a bit to let's go back to this stuff. So Pedro Lopez's father uh, was a member of the conservative faction and he'd been killed three months before Pedro was born. Pedro was the seventh child of a family of 13 kids. That's a lot of kids. Raised by a single mother, Benilda Lopez. When little Pedro was five and while the civil war there was still raging, his mother moved the family to the city of El Espanol. So some contacts for family. Benilda Lopez claimed she gave her son a loving upbringing and that Pedro was always bright and friendly and he wanted to be a teacher. Sounds good so far. According to Mumsy. Now Pedro says um, quite different. He says that she was sick in the head. That's not the way to punish your children. She punished me with such violence. How did she punish him? Well, we'll get to some of that. So the Lopez family... Poverty, they came from poverty. Um, and Belinda was or Benilda, sorry, Benilda, uh paid for what they had by working as a prostitute, was which was pretty common in the area. Um, sex worker, updated terms. When she fell pregnant, she had um she, you know, had the baby and the family just kept getting larger and larger. So that's why I have 13 kids. I wish I had 13 kids to take care of you. Take care of my yard work. Take the dead birds out. Yes. Get so much shit done around here if I had more kids. Probably. So there was often, he reported, um, often seeing men come and go from the house, that they would often become violent and hit her, um, often disagreements over price or sometimes because they simply didn't want to pay. That can have an impact. Mm Mm-hmm. He was forced at a very young age to see a connection between sex and violence. Um, He often shared that his own feelings of arousal and his attitude towards women um, promoted this kind of form of sexual sadism. Mm. All right. So 1956. So Pedro was eight years old now. He left home to live on the streets. Benilda says that he ran away his own accord. She claims that she wept for days and days and went out looking for him. Um, that a, she thought that a neighbor kidnapped him. Um, however, Pedro says that he left home because in 1956, he was caught groping the breasts of his sisters trying to initiate sex. He was eight. Take that information and, um, you know. Could be developmentally yes. normal. Um, Lopez claims that his mother threw him out of the house and told him to never return. So... Mm-hmm conflicting stories again so some shame Mm -hmm. associated with 
maybe normal stuff, but then he's already saying that he's already having and sexual sadism and stuff. witnessing all that stuff. Which I find fascinating. I know. So I this is this became really interesting because connection I got between a good amount of content. Sex here. and violence. Yeah. Fascinating. So he then went, he was sleeping on the street, um, alleyways, abandoned buildings. He fed himself by digging through the trash, begging for money. Um, so he started getting malnutrition. He was getting like very skeletal in appearance. He, because he's lived just a kid, right? Eight years old. Yeah. Oh yeah. So Lopez then was he was quoted in an interview and said, "I remember being a lively and energetic child, innocent. Then in the majority of my childhood, I lived in filth and sleazy places. My life has been dishonest because I was abandoned. The years can be taken. The years can take someone and change them drastically." So Pedro Lopez, so he's a very like well-spoken person as well. If you hear has a lot of insight. Yes. So like we've had other serial killers in the past or mass murderers. Yeah. Who who is more like already like, do they know what they were doing? He he very he has a lot of insight. Or just like spinning such an obvious yarn. Yes, yes. So he was on wasn't on the streets for more Which than is a an few old knitting weeks. term. And yeah, I kind of I had to think about it. I pictured a ball of yarn and was like, <laughs> okay, got it. <laughs> so he was actually picked up by a man. I don't know how to knit on the streets. I, it was I know a weird reference of yarn. I, I know there. nothing of yarn. <laughs> okay, Pedro accepted this man's offer. Remember the trains? No. No, I'm talking about last podcast. Bringing you back from yarn to trains. Oh, am I on the wrong train again? I mean, you were heading there. So before you get (laughs) to the station. (laughs) So this man comes and offers kindness to him, a hot meal, a bed to sleep in for the night. Okay. And takes him to an abandoned warehouse where he forcibly sodomizes him before turning him back out on the streets. Well, he's vulnerable out there. He couldn't go to the police, who were not the most effective due to high crime, the civil war, tendency to ignore problems of the poor. And I just want to say that, like, this comes up throughout this. I know it's come up in other podcast what topics, year too. Is this? Um, so, I mean, roundabout-ish, we're, like, the 1950s, mid-1950s. In Colombia? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, the poor population was not really looked into for crimes, things like that. Um, But it's going to become a theme here. So Lopez said, I don't deny that it has affected me. I've always wanted to punish those responsible. I hated it. When I see a certain type of person, like a male adult that doesn't respect a young boy, I make it a point to set that person straight. So eight-year-old Pedro then left. He walked 90 miles on foot from Espinal to Bogota. The nickname for these street kids in this area were called uh, Los Gaminas, and they were operated in a complex of network what does of that mean? beggars, thieves, and street gangs in order to survive. So um, I don't know the full, hold on, actually, I think I do have what it. What is Gaminas name? I'm not sure the full meaning of that. We'll look it up later. Yeah. So he joined the street gang, um, kind of a juvenile alliance. Yeah, and he helped, safety. Yeah, he helped defend the gang's territory, a small slice of Bogota that the gang claimed for theft, begging, and prime sleeping spots. Violence between gangs happened all the time, almost nightly, being fought with clubs, knuckle dusters. 
What's a knuckle duster? I think that's like just the like almost just, like a what are they called? Um, iron knuckles. Like brass knuckles. Brass knuckles. Thank you. Iron knuckles. <laughs> Not in that. Scene. I mean, they could be made out of iron. Maybe. Um, and maybe a knuckle duster is something more like just having even a cloth or a leather across, maybe uh, to protect something the like that. Broken bottles, knives, chains, belts, all that. So he said that he's witnessed other kids being killed um, by other children. You know, so watching kids kill kids. Um, and the homeless girls in the area worked as prostitutes as young as 12 or even nine. The, uh, let's see, the game gamines also had to watch out for, sorry, gamines, there we go, gamines, had to watch out for adults who might try to abduct them, murder them, sexually assault them, or even use them for bullet fodder for paramilitary groups. Uh, some authority- Target practice? Is yeah. that what that means? Yeah, because basically these- street kids um weren't valued at all some authorities thought they were a nuisance with constant fighting so they just kind of turn a blind eye to any militants who would go out hunting them and by the 1970s the columbian street children had earned a second nickname called los de Cheb let me try this again los de Chables, or the disposables oh sad so so Not they're just good. throwaway kids. According to the Colombian government at this time. So I'm sure they don't didn't have a CPS going on. No. So while only a child, Pedro began smoking what was called basuco, a low-grade cocaine paste, um, which was laced in their cigarettes. So it was derived from the Spanish word dirty trash, because the cocaine paste is like scraped from the bottom of a barrel after cocaine production. So very highly potently addictive, even more so than crack. A um, mm. lot of different chemicals, rubbers, plastics in it as well. It mm. could cause violent mood swings, delusions, and paranoia. And wow. he was became very easily What's uh, was it called? on it. Um, it's just called uh, bazooko. Bazooko. Mm -hmm. So 1958, so towards the end of the 1950s, Pedro was 10. He was spotted on the streets by a highly religious American couple who moved to the U.S. Uh, for work, uh, from the U.S. to Columbia for work. So he's thin, pretty filthy. They felt bad for him um, and decided to take him in. They fed him, gave him a place to sleep. He was there for two years. That's a long time. Mm -hmm. But in 1960, and like no issues reported while he was there. Uh, in 1960, he was 12 years old. He So they sent him to a school. He was going to a private school. Um, everything seemed great. Uh, then he was molested by a male teacher at the school. Mm. Um, this another betrayal um, traumatized Pedro uh, for his reports and brought back horrific memories of his childhood, his dis distrust of adults. So yeah. he stole money from the school's main office, disappeared in the back streets without a trace and never went back to the American couple again. Disappeared. So if that hadn't happened, who knows? You could have had, you know, yeah. a, a semi-fulfilling life. You would think that if he, yeah, if he would have stayed or had, you know, a different situation. Yeah. Or maybe so he says, all fulfilling. Who knows? He commented on this incident and said, I'm an adult man. I have led a backward life. I have become disoriented, deluded, all because I lack support and help when that is what I needed the most. The insight is amazing on this uh -huh. guy. Okay, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. by the age of 16, so we're up to 1964 now to give range. Mm -hmm. He 
become a car thief. He would steal cars. And by the time he was 18, he became like a really respected car thief in Bogota. I wish I knew how to do that. Hot wire car. Yeah, it sounds super useful skill. It does. So at age 21, he stopped being a car thief when he was caught by the police uh, with a stolen vehicle. He was arrested. This is the not cool part of being a car thief, just to throw that out there. Um, he was sentenced to two years in Don't prison. Get caught. <laughs> We're he, not saying stale cars. I'm just saying, saying I'm just saying <laughs> knowing having the skill set yes. could be valuable in some situation in possibly, the future. Possibly. Hypothetically. Yes. So he was in prison for two years. He'd only been locked up for two days when he was beaten and gang raped by four other inmates. So just like the sexual trauma has not ended. And this is the point. So he's, he's now 21 years old. Yeah. um, And he's never hurt anybody else at this point. It's all been, he's been a victim. The next day, (laughs) this is when that changes. He does a blitz attack style. He burst into each of the inmates' cells while they were alone. And one by one, he stabbed each of them repeatedly before they could defend themselves. Each mm. attack took no more than a minute. Pedro managed to kill three out of the four rapists. Wow. With what? Like a knife? Mm-hmm. With the fourth inmate. A shiv. Or probably, as they say. Probably more like a shiv, I'm sure. Um, the fourth inmate, inmate survived his attack in critical condition. But this is like the Colombian prison system at the time. Uh, they told him it's nothing. Don't worry about it. After it happened, the prison authorities determined that he committed the murders in self-defense, not because he had killed them in the heat of the assault, but because mm-hmm. being locked up in prison, odds are it would happen again, leading to Lopez's own death. So that's how they mm-hmm. logically lead that to being semi-okay. But um, eventually did go through some processes. And in the end, he did end up getting an addition to his sentence. Two years. <laughs> so he murdered three, Not much of a deterrent. three men and, you know, um, attempted murder on the fourth and got two years. He said, while I was in prison, I learned how to defend myself. Indeed, he was never in much trouble through that whole time. He didn't join a gang he didn't really talk he was like really isolated i think you i mean that's a problem with like the juvenile justice system is you just are teaching people valuable skills no that's often like when i have (laughs) when i worked at the high school and they would go to inpatient and they would tell me that they learned all these horrible things from other teens and inpatient and like oh yeah yeah. i learned how this or i learned about this and i'm like oh my gosh (laughs) keep these children away from each other and inpatient yes isolate them i mean it's just temporary they don't need to hear each other's horror stories or see each other's slit wrists like come on i know know. like i get that they're kids and need to be around each other but that's not the setting neither is or bring in other kids bring in yeah bring in a mentor or mentor mentor of sorts of sorts okay so he also identifies himself lopez had said that he had masturbatory habits um he Don't felt all though he felt the need to that's normal Let's, we're not pathologizing biological impulses which, masturbatory habits okay he found that women in porn magazines were repulsive he felt the graphic acts in which they were engaged in reminded him of his mother. This is not maybe the norm. <laughs> Just saying. Um, he felt that they lacked innocence, um, like his mom. Ultimately, so he's put 
putting his mom like, like he's associating it's values based it's like his mom is getting mixed up with yeah. the sexual mm-hmm. thoughts which okay. which could again, be very confusing and then goes in line with the him reporting a lot of violence and abuse growing up and she's like everything was fine and was loving but yeah mm. okay so he said ultimately this led him to sexualizing things and having different fantasies about quote other things okay other things we'll leave it there for now so he said that his innocence was taken from him at the age of eight so he would take an eye for an eye a tooth for a tooth said i've always lived in poverty i have ambition of being a powerful of being powerful one day or of great importance i understand what i've done there is no going back he has this very kind of godlike complex well, what's he done? I know I'm just leading you into it slowly. So much foreshadowing. I'm, I'm having you build some empathy for him before I knock you down. <laughs> well, I already twice. am super impressed with his insight, unless it's yes. all bu- bullshit, which it could be. Okay. So he was in prison. He was released in 1973. So we're up in the 70s now. His movements go dark for about half a decade. We... Do know that from 1973 to 1978, Lopez had no fixed address and he moved between Bogota and El Espanol. El Espanol, maybe I'm saying that wrong. Occasionally visiting his mom, whom had like a new type of relationship with. Mm-hmm. She said that like it would rarely end on good terms, saying that he'd become confrontational and cruel and then leave. Okay. So 1978, he travels to Peru. He then appears on our radar radar after a troubling incident. Okay. So, Peru. Dwelling in the countryside of the forest of Peru are various tribes and confederacies of the Chanka people. Hmm. They are a large aboriginal ethnicity um, with various dialects, subcultures that spread across multiple regions of the country. The Chanka is a traditional... uh, Agrian society and in, and endeavors to remain untouched by modern life. I think that means farming, right? Um, could be. They resist conquest by the Incan Empire and they resisted the Spanish conquistadors. Even today, they strive to hold off the encroachments of the Peruvian government and are largely left to their own devices. Kind of, you just don't, you know, don't fuck with them. Sounds very anti-establishment. Mm-hmm. I totally relate. Yes. So in 1978, a number of young girls between 8 and 12 had gone missing from a local Chanka community, never to be found Uh again. One day, Pedro Lopez was discovered trying to lure a nine-year-old Chanka girl away into the forest. Lopez had said the girl that he was lost, and he asked her to help him find his way back to the road. Uh They suspected that he was responsible for the recent disappearances of other girls in the community. So, according to Lopez, the Chancas were about to pour syrup on his face, so he'd be stung repeatedly by swarms of thousands of highly toxic bullet ants. Oh. Yes. Um, sounds pretty horrible, actually. Uh, so, a Christian missionary there intervened before this happened. She convinced the Chancas instead to deliver Lopez to the local police. And I just want to say this is twice now that highly religious people got involved. I don't know what that means, but twice in his life they've intervened. Well, I think maybe there's 
at that time and in that location, I, maybe there's a lot more highly religious people. Maybe. Maybe there, these were opportunities for segues in his life that he didn't take. Could have been different timelines. All right. So they drove him to the police station. The attending officer couldn't really determine like, okay, but like evidence, there wasn't really anything to do an investigation. And again, they don't really want to deal with um, that community. So he hadn't been caught doing anything criminal either, other than just claiming to be lost. Um, at that point, there was no incident to really. So they say. couldn't find any evidence of wrongdoing. Yes. But they did say like, oh, but you're from Colombia. <laughs> so they decided to have him deported. Uh, the officer ordered the missionaries to drive Lopez to the border and drop him off, which the woman did. Okay. So that's how that ended. Pedro returned to Bogota, where in December of 1978, he abducted, raped, and strangled a young girl whose name and exact age is undisclosed. Her remains were not found until months later, and Lopez was not placed on the list of police suspects. In early 1979 in Espanol, Lopez is known to have abducted, raped, and strangled another girl, Flora Alba Sanchez. Her body was found months later on the outskirts of El Espanol um i don't have the age of her it says young girl once again lopez was not placed on any list of so suspects. young girls is his um, victim they give MO. yeah they give um kind of a, a range um like it definitely was it wasn't going over i think 10 i'm surprised i know there's it's like i would have thought twist. he would have the twist gone after people that like look like his mom or something well but the thing is um from what i've heard too is that it's all been girls not boys but they're young though i would have they're thought young. they would have like been more like adults mm -hmm. that maybe resembled mom because yeah. they had such a mm -hmm. which is what fixation we've seen other serial killers yeah um so one of them though so that uh flora sanchez her body was found months later um her mom identified her by the dress she was wearing and uh lopez mm. was not listed both of them were from poor families according to police conduct at the time they weren't really investigated at all so okay. so we're in 1979 here we're like almost 1980 and it's not investigated because they don't have money because of the the class system yes. that was going on yes okay so 1979 pedro then traveled to ecuador where he settled in the mountain city of embato embato i can say that right it has a large population um and he said that he really liked ecuadorian girls they were more gentle and trusting than colombian girls they never scream they expect nothing they are innocent Why, what situation would they need to scream oh no mm -hmm. on may 5th 1979 lopez approached hortensia 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 Sorry, trying, trying. A young girl selling newspapers to supplement her family's income. Lopez asked her to be his guide. Um, he led the girl to the outskirts of town where he sexually assaulted and murdered her oh. and then buried her body underneath a bridge. In her shallow grave, she was shrouded in the newspaper she had been selling that day. Oh. No police investigation. Poor thing. That's so, just so sad. So sad. Shitty. And the family is like, they get no resolution. The police don't care, nothing. So in Embato itself, young girls started going missing at an alarming rate. P 
panicked parents reported disappearances to the police, they refused to investigate. The official police line in the late 1979 was that, or what the police said was like, they're runaways, kept being the statement, they're runaways. The police even made some demented comments about how the girls may have failed their school exams and like ran away. They didn't like want that. to get in trouble. Mm -hmm. In reality, like, you know, these police are just not taking action. And we've seen that in the U.S. too, yes, where yeah. the police, you know, if there's any indicators that there were some behavioral problems, they just wouldn't mm -hmm. look into it because they mm -hmm. just assumed the kid ran away. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, and again, like they didn't have him as, as the only active predator. So during this time, there's a lot of sex trafficking happening. Uh, that trade was pretty abundant during that time. Um, so it's hard to know what connections were happening with the corrupt system as well mm -hmm. for keeping things quiet. Um, so there's a lot of unknowns there, but probability for corruption. Okay, so on February 14th, 1980 now, uh, Ivanove went missing while walking alone in downtown Embato to visit her father at work. Her father was not poor. He owned a large chain of bakeries across the region, was a respected businessman. When he informed the police that she went missing, they were forced to pay attention. So this was the first actual actionable It shouldn't take that. Police. It shouldn't take being a family with money to have, have your, your disappearance investigated. Like yeah. It's horrible. So then there was a, like, there was an actual flash flood that happened in the area and it uncovered the remains of four other girls who had been murdered and buried at various locations across a river in, near Embato. Wow. So they're just finding bodies. So the police realized that they're now dealing with a serial killer, and now they're on high alert. Um, on March 8th, 1980, the police found Ivanov Ivanova's body lying in a farm shed on the edge of town. She was identified by her father, and that is one that he did... Um, give them the location of um, after. Pedro was quoted as saying, I am God. I give life and I take it away. Pedro Lopez attended the market in town. He would sell small trinkets, cheap bracelets, padlocks, and that's where he then spotted Maria age 12, mm -hmm. there's a 12 year old, who was helping her mother, Carlina, run her hot food stand. Lopez lingered at the market for the majority of the day, staring at the young girl. Then at 4 p.m., Lopez approached the stall and asked Carlina what sort of food she was offering. Lopez appeared indecisive and took his sweet time kind of looking things over. At the same time, Lopez kept looking at the daughter as if he was trying to get her attention. He kept gesturing for her to come over. Maria told her mom that this man was looking at her funny and she felt creeped out. Good for her. Mm -hmm. So other instances, he might simply um, like, okay, in that situation, what would you tell your daughter if she said that to you? Well, I mean, I don't know what the culture was like there mm -hmm. at that time. I mean, maybe it's very respect your ad adults and, you know, you just listen. Mm-hmm you know here even at that time 1980 i think it was still respect your adults and just listen yeah, yeah. so yeah i mean but at this so for this community now they all know about the children disappearing so 
in contrary to what had probably culturally right, 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 right. You'd, you'd say everyone's on high alert let's um, let's stay here so a strange <laughs> man trying to you know get the attention of this young girl is enough to warrant more hostility and suspicion than probably normal um so this ended up the mom yelled at him and ended up getting a mob of people Ooh, nearby. Let's get a mob going. I know, right? I wish there was just more more mobs. mobs. Um, Chase Pedro across the marketplace roughed him up, so they beat him up, handed him over to police on suspicion of being the local child murderer. So here's another, like, we could get him. We could get him! Once in police custody, he denied all charges and insisted that he was a good person with a pure heart. Oh. Police interrogations, right? Police interrogations were pretty standard at the time. Uh, he didn't have, again, there was no evidence of him doing anything. Uh, this was suspicion, um, and he got a good beating by the people. Uh, and they uh, apparently the police also tried to beat a confession out of him, sort of deal. Mm. He still did not confess said he was innocent and he was thrown into a cell so they were trying to get more information from him they had police captain pastor gonzalez and um apparently historically this has gotten skewed a bit people have said well he was a he was a pastor his name was pastor different oh okay um he was made lopez's cellmate to like pretend to be another cellmate as to a fellow rapist yeah so he he like basically posed as another rapist hey let's share our rape stories yeah that's basically it wow so he stated so this um gonzalez the police officer said for 27 days i barely slept for fear i'd be strangled but i would trick lopez into confessing he boasted about his murders one after another taking place in ecuador i mean maybe colombian court i don't know (laughs) um he said it was beyond his worst nightmares he told me everything okay so now He's he's has his own nickname. It is the Monster of the Andes. Okay, that's his, that's his, his wow. scary name. He says, "I am the worst of the worst. Perhaps I took it too far because of my ignorance. I am the lowest of the low. Perhaps even a complete animal." Connection. That's was my connection point. Animal. Animal. <laughs> so he's recognizing that what he's doing is wrong. He's just mm-hmm. not able to override those impulses. Or, you know, wanting to. Right. Maybe he doesn't want to. Maybe he doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. I haven't heard anything, and I've gone through all this already, that has any insight. Where he was trying to control it. Or sadness or remorse or anything like that. Yeah. So he confessed to abducting, raping, and murdering 110 girls between the ages of 8 and 12 in Ecuador between 1979 and 1980. In addition. Just in a year's time? That is a lot of people. In addition, he admitted to killing 140 girls in Colombia between the years 1973 and 1977. And further, 50 to 80 girls in Peru during his stay in the country in 1978. Well, no wonder he had a God complex. He's getting away with it all. Yes. That amounts to approximately two girls per month in Colombia, about one to two girls per week during his time in Peru, and between two and three girls per week in Ecuador. The increase in frequency from Colombia to Peru and Ecuador could imply a pattern escalation. Um, 
In total, Pedro Lopez confessed to killing over 300 children in a roughly a seven year period. Mm-hmm. Like now when I when I saw the like second worst serial killer, because I, I read that I'm like, I've never heard of him. Who's the first worst serial killer? I'd have to look it up, but uh-huh. I, it's either like, I don't know if it's Ted Bundy or whoever. No, it's no, probably, not. what's his name? Hold on, I'm curious. It might be that that guy in america like maybe towards the turn of the century again like how do you and oh luis garavito another colombian ecuador venezuela countries oh my god so the first and second are colombia and then and this is just pakistan and then russia what they've been caught for so who knows what's really going on i'm curious like y'all don't know nothing yet if you're just stuck with the american serial killers i'll tell you that all right. Okay. So he said that he had, there was a specific type of victim. He would walk the markets looking for a girl with a certain look on her face, innocence, beauty. He would mm. say she'd be a good girl, perhaps working with her mother. He would watch for two or three days, watching movements when she was left alone. Mm. His modus operandi, operandi, is that you said? To select girls who appeared to be easy targets. Yes, his MO was to find easy targets that the police would not work hard to find. So he intentionally did that. He would mostly target girls of full or partial indigenous descent, once saying, quote, I spent many days following rich families and their beautiful blonde daughters, but I never got the chance to take some. The parents were too watchful. Oh, he target poor girls. He would target girls selling things on street corners or aborig- Aboriginal girls living in the depths of the countryside. That probably let him get away with a lot yeah. more because mm-hmm. it wasn't looked into. Yeah. Um, it's like why people like our own Robert mm-hmm. Yates here in Spokane, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, he, he targeted all those sex workers and it really wasn't seriously looked into. Yeah. His general approach. So he never took anybody forcibly. He'd draw them away. He'd use charm. He would give them like little trinkets. He claimed being lost. That way, if like they didn't go with him, he could just lean on while I was lost mm-hmm. or that sort of thing. So there was never a forcibly taking a child or at least at the initial part. He would then take the girls to an isolated area, frequently on like the edge of the town to sexually assault them. He would then leave the girls alive and sleep next to them the entire night. This is where it gets interesting. He'd whisper comforting things to calm them down, making them think they'd get returned home the next oh. day. Then at dawn, Lopez would sexually assault them again and strangle them. He waited for dawn so he could look into their eyes while he did it. Lopez would then prop up the body of the victim and talk to it for hours. Um, this is what's been referred to as his tea parties. Um, having one-sided games with the children he'd refer to the victims as his quote dolls eventually lopez would become bored hide the body leave he admitted all this yeah like yeah these were interviews to that oh in interviews Mm -hmm. after interesting after a cooling off period of about a week maybe two um some of them only a day or two he'd go off and find another victim so due to the high number of victims more than often he would bring multiple victims to the same grave site as the previous crime Mm. so he preyed on girls typically age 12 um he did not abduct girls who were working um as sex workers uh 
often associating them with his mom. So the reason for this, that revulsion. Um, oh, so he's going anti-mom. Anti-mom. So. Which is interesting, right? Maybe like, like the, that's why he went for these young girls is because they would be virgins or innocent. They reflected, yeah, opposite of his mom who he had like Got this it. hatred okay. for. And like the playing the games, the tea party, the talking sweet to them, keeping, sleeping next to them. He's showing an, uh, you know, albeit a very sick form of fondness which he doesn't have for mom so it's yeah, the opposite. yeah. he's putting it's that innocence on a pedestal mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so he felt that he was helping them by do, sparing do what? by sparing them of a life for when they would grow older lose their innocence and suffer at the hands of other people mm. in other words become like his mom like you were like you saw in porn um he felt he was sending the innocents straight to heaven. He's saving them. Yes. During an interview, Lopez stated that it took took the girls five to 15 minutes to die. He added, I was very considerate. I would spend a long time with them making sure they were dead. I would use a mirror to check if they were still breathing. So again, a sick kind of care in the death process, but five to 15 minutes is a long time to die, in my opinion. By strangling? Yeah. Yeah, I don't want that that long. No. To me, that's a very painful long death. Um, so yeah, if you have consciousness, no, yeah. thank you. So the police weren't really sure what to do with this. Uh, the numbers he was claiming were huge. 110 victims in Ecuador alone. They thought he could just be, you know, mentally ill with stories like this is too much to be real. Beyond his confessions, all they had was the mob picking him up. So, like, you know, is it real? Um, they kept him talking by giving him cigarettes, coffee, beer, fried chicken. <laughs> he remembered a surprising number of dates, times, victim descriptions. He was very specific. So there was recall. no, like, database of no. missing kids no. so they could cross-reference. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... Lopez began to call Gonzalez, uh, the psycho, the or sorry, the police officer who was there. They started calling him Papa, which psychologists theorized was because for most of his entire life, Lopez lacked a father figure oh. who was kind to him. Oh. So after some more rounds of questioning, Lopez then leads him to the buried bodies of the victims. So this is when the police start realizing, oh my God, he's telling the truth. And he led him to, they led them to 57 sites where bodies were found along with the additional 36 sites where no bodies were uncovered, which is, you know, could be because of um, the animals. Yeah. And there was the big mudslide. So a lot of factors could have happened. Could it be bad memory for things? Who knows? Um, By his own admission, Lopez had murdered a lot of victims in 11 month period. But the discover a uh, discovery of roughly half of the 110 claimed victims means I mean that's still a lot of fucking consistent. little girls uh, raped and murdered. Yes. So the unfortunately the poor did not always report disappearances either. So that's that cross reference report. So some there was no records of missing girls. Um, in some of these you places. might just decide to deal with it on your own. Yeah. Especially with like some of the um, like indigenous girls um, as well. So the police themselves were known also for having bad just records in general for those that they even did have. 
Um, and again, with the sex trafficking that was happening, um, that may be some of the reason why some of the records were bad. Okay, so at one of the first grave sites on the outskirts of Ambato, police located the body of, of Hortensia, and I'm saying this wrong, I'm so sorry, who was killed 11 months prior. Her father was called to identify her remains. Um, he recognized her clothes. The father was standing there protected by police um, and the father wanted to wanted to kill Lopez. Uh, Lopez was taken out disguised as a police officer while guiding police to a new grave site. So he was starting, I mean, obviously the community is getting more and more angry. And um, at one point, she's in the bathroom. I have to, I have to pause because this is, this is an interesting tidbit. So I'm going to, I'm going to pause. No, can you hear me? Okay. So this, she's going to the bathroom while we're doing this. Here we go. So Lopez, during one of the outings, he grabs the girl's skull and puts it under his arm and posed with it and wanted them to take a picture of him. So they quickly grabbed it. Um, but really you can see like, he's getting a lot of, uh, you know, that feel good of having these crimes being uh, ascribed to him. So he wanted like, did you hear about the, with the skull under his arm? The little girl. What is that about? I'm struggling to relate. Well, to he's like proud of it. Like he's in like a trophy. Yeah. So he loved the attention. He said, when one dies, one totally loses his emotions, his vision, his ability to see. In death, you can forget about who you are because everything you did has now evaporated into the void. Mm. Ultimately, Pedro was diagnosed as a sociopath with antisocial personality disorder. He did not know right from wrong, had no remorse, no empathy. Psychologists speculated that mm. if his upbringing had been different, he might likely not have ended up this way. So this brings up that nature versus nurture debate. I don't, I, I think he knew right from wrong. Well, and that's, I mean, according he to the psychologist, he was trying to not get caught. Which is true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but to be, yes, yes. I mean, he, he was targeted, calculated. he targeted people who he felt wouldn't get follow-up. Yeah. But also the police just didn't follow up. Yeah. I mean, all it would have taken is one time for them to care. Yeah. They just gave him this sandbox of murder. All right. Are you ready? Oh. Okay. So Pedro know. was charged with 110 counts of murder in Ecuador largely based on his own confessions. So they didn't find 110 bodies? No, they found 57. Okay. Um, and he stopped bringing them to sites when he found out he was going to be charged anyways. So that uh, 57, he then so that, stopped. So that's different than U.S. law. Yes, I think yes. you have to have a body here. So, well, they did find 57 bodies, but he stopped taking them to But didn't sites. you say he was charged? Oh, oh, oh I see something. what you mean. Yeah, 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 yeah 110. Yes. Uh, basically, if you confess to it, then fine, we'll charge you. But um, in Ecuador, it's like, I'm going to stop confessing. In Ecuador, there's no such thing as consecutive sentences. And being charged under more than one category of a crime was considered unconstitutional. Okay. So this is very different from the US. Okay. So you can't get like, here you get like this, three this, life this, sentences. This, yes. And it can't be consecutive. So this meant, means that if you were abducted, raped, and killed, say if you abducted, raped, and killed a person, or a hundred or a thousand, you'd receive the exact same sentence. Right. 
So for the abduction, rape, and murder of 57 to 110 girls, which is actually probably closer to 300, um, in Ecuador, Ecuador, Pedro received the maximum sentence uh, at the time, which was 16 years. And that's 16 all he got. years? That's all he got. Holy shit. That equates to 1.5 months to three months of jail time for every child Lopez murdered in Ecuador. One and a half months. Were the families outraged? Or were they I would used be. to that? I would be. If we add the estimated death tolls from Peru and Colombia, roughly 300, Lopez spent two weeks in jail for each murder. And Pedro would have been freed from prison before he reached his 50th birthday. I mean, maybe that's normal there. I mean, here, I think people would be outraged. Yes. Um, Hopefully. He then concocted a story while he was in jail that a man named Jorge Patino was actually responsible for the murders. Lopez said, I did not commit the murders. I participated in the acts and was involved in them. Patino was threatening to kill me. And if I tried to leave him, he probably would have. So he was trying to say he had a split personality that made this happen. Oh, so Jorge is like another part of himself. But most people say, you know, it's either, okay, mental illness or to catch media attention at this point. Who knows? Um, I mean, was there any evidence of That's literally all I heard about that. Oh, okay. Um, So 16-year sentence. He repeatedly vowed that if he was released, he would kill again. Stated it. Pedro Lopez was freed from prison on August 31st, 1994, after serving 14 years of his original 16-year sentence. He was released two years early for, quote, good behavior. MPD, not MPD, sorry. Oh, yes. All the abbreviations. The parents, Too many abbreviations. Parents acronyms. were devastated and called for vigilante yeah. justice to kill him. Fuck yeah, vigilante justice. Mob. Oh my god, mob. <laughs> uh, they had pulled all their, so the community pulled their own resources and placed a 25,000 bounty. There may be a set. time and a place for mob justice. This might be it. This, this might be it. Okay, so a few hours after his release, he was swooped up again, actually, by Ecuadorian authorities who were ordered to deport him back to Colombia. He was handed over the next day. Colombian authorities arrested him for the murder of Flora Alba Sanchez, the 12-year-old, from 1979. They hoped to find him guilty of others and put him away for life or put him in front of a firing squad. That was Colombia's goal. Okay, public pressure grew to increase the sentence from 16 years to 25 on the Ecuador side. So like there's now that he's back in custody for something, more and more people want more out of this. He was found guilty of the murder, though he was not prosecuted for any of the other 140 murders he claimed to have committed in Colombia, nor was he ever called to account for any murders in Peru. In late 1995, Lopez was declared insane and locked up in an asylum in Bogota. After two years of incarceration at the, at the asylum, a psychiatrist evaluated Pedro Lopez and declared him sane. He was released. Oh, released. In 1998, on the condition oh. that he continued his psychiatric treatments and report to a judge once a month and had to pay a bail bond of $50. How'd that go? Okay, well, first of all, um, I did read a whole other kind of stance on... Um, possibly having the psychiatrist again in this Colombian system possibly being paid off don't have any like real grounds for that but it was brought up as a 
his two years just saying, okay, you're sane again after mm-hmm. all these murders, it didn't make much sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, who would be paying him? <laughs> I'm not sure. So just throwing it out there. Um, well, in my opinion, he would not have qualified for the insanity plea. No. And a $50 bail bond, that's 16 cents per victim, just to throw that out there. So, okay. He was released in early 1998. Um, he did not go to any court judgings. He did not continue psychiatric treatment at all. So he did none of those things. He did go back to his home, visit his mom, Benilda. He said that he would, he greeted her by saying that she, he made her get down on her knees and he would bless her. Oh, to which Benilda replied that she was his mother and that if anyone should get down on their knees, it was him. (laughs) Pedro promptly got down on one knee so he could receive his mother's blessing. He then started aggressively demanding an early share of his inheritance. And then he like started like pulling stuff out of the house and like told like yelling, like for people to buy buy it. And someone bought some stuff and then he left. Hmm. That was the last time anyone reported seeing Pedro Lopez ever again, ever again, ever again, What? ever again in 2002 is the last Interpol released a thing considering him a prime suspect and another child murder in Colombia. Aside from that, there's been no significant spikes that have been documented. I would just add, have not been documented um, in the years following. So Golden Gate Killer is the only other one I can think of where there was a a stop, stopping period of just not committing crimes for a long period of time. He'd be in his like 73s-ish, something 70s. I think he probably died. Or he died. Or someone- Maybe he fell over in a- pig trough and the pigs ate them maybe or maybe like some of the the tribal communities around there captured vigilante justice yeah who no because he's very there's pictures of him there's literally interviews of him at the prison meeting there was a really creepy did i keep the picture in here hold on let me show you this creepy picture okay here he is this is him oh so this picture was taken in the prison um he only would allow the interview on one condition. So this is the interviewer. Okay. This is his daughter. Oh. He requested that he hadn't touched a woman in years and wanted to touch her wrists. So he had guns like, so on this, what you can't see in this picture is the guards had guns on him mm-hmm. this whole time. And he, he like holds her wrists. Yeah. I mean, I feel like he still has all the same shit going on Mm -hmm. and wants to continue. So I don't see why he would stop. I think he got killed. I agree. Cause he had the God complex going on. He only had a little bit of money, like not much. And everyone everyone knows who you are. Yeah. So, but interesting that he's, you know, there's never been a body found. There's never been anyone claiming to have killed him. There's never been, you know, he just hasn't been picked up again. Like, he's just literally gone. Yeah. So very, very interesting. Pedro Lopez. How old would he be now if he were to be alive? I think um, at least at the last of the research that I had done, um, it said like 73. So there's potential he's still alive out there somewhere. Potential. Potential. Anyways, there you go. This is why people have to look at news outside the country. I mean, I get a lot of my news mm-hmm. from outside the country sources, mm-hmm. but I hadn't heard of that. Thanks for the story, Macy. You're welcome. It was RIP all those baffling. poor little girls. I know. It's so sad. I'm just like, and again, I'm just horrified by the lack of follow through on 
poor populations, indigenous peoples, uh, but that women, it goes on in our own country. I know. I know. I remember I did that whole topic on the missing and That's disappeared. It, it made and me think about that. Murdered like, indigenous girls and women in U.S. and Canada. Well, and the, That's yeah, now. That's like nowadays. The sex trafficking, like makes it worse it creates a system that allows other types of crimes as well to happen like this of taking advantage of corrupt police systems of um you know just a network and, and most of the sex trafficker people that are like in charge of that are white rich older men mm -hmm. and i believe that if it weren't for that family that owned the bakery that there would have been many like he probably wouldn't have even been arrested down the road because he was very good at being strategic with who he targeted and how he targeted them. That's why I, I don't mm -hmm. see the not knowing right from wrong. Yeah. He knew he was doing wrong. He knew. He knew. Yeah. Very different from like the, um, who was it, Gacy we talked about, who was like, there was a lot of developmental. Was it Gacy? No, I'm questioning. I don't remember. I know. The one that for sure I'm always like thinking about like okay yes that person was out of their mind they did not mm -hmm. know is the, i think they're called like the vampire of sacramento or oh something. yeah yeah yeah. I remember like they yeah. I, I believe were they psychotic. were very yeah they had they mental not, symptoms impacting it for they sure they did not know well, what's going on yeah and it made me like okay did he take the insanity plea because it was an easier go and he could justify that by saying he had a split personality and then just say that he didn't anymore <laughs> like what he's smart enough to navigate changing things. he's intelligent <laughs> i mean he has those yeah. characteristics of you know the the classic psychopath or sociopath where mm -hmm. he he's smart mm -hmm. he knows what he's doing i mean all that insight i was so impressed by that mm -hmm. and that's why i wanted to do his childhood and stuff first because i do think that there a lot of the his environment created how he was like had this little boy not had all of that environment <laughs> like when he was with that uh, that family there were no incidents he had no issues and then it was the sexual assault by the teacher that then had him run away and then again further down mm -hmm. that path um and there was no violence no harm to animals that were reported no fire setting no destructive behaviors um although stuff with his mom was rocky but there was still no he had no behavioral things mm -hmm. prior to that i don't know yeah all right until next time um if you haven't listened to our last episode i talk about the georgia guidestones and macy talks about macy doesn't remember i don't remember i just finished my topic and i've had a lot of sake um, what did I talk? About? I believe you talked about life after death. Oh yes, yes, with artificial um, intelligence. Artificial intelligence and companies trying to own the rights on you know dead people. So if you haven't listened to our last episode, do so. Do yes, and until next time, don't keep venomous snakes. Even if you think you're cool, you can do it. You, you're not, not going to be able to handle it. And. Start a mob! Mob justice! Woo! Woo!